reoccurring dream, a tech-heavy future, memories that can be implanted, women with three boobs, all of this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Total Recall in this episode of Retro vs. Remake. And I'm Dan Bulick, and we are comparing Total Recall in this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Total Recall from 1990, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rachel Tikatin, Sharon Stone, Michael Ironside, and Ronnie Cox. Director, Paul Verhoeven. Written by Dan Bannon and Ronald Shusett. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. The 2012 Total Recall, starring Colin Farrell, Kate Beckinsale, Jessica Biel, and Brian Cranston. Directed by Len Wiseman. Written by Kurt Weimer and Mark Bombach. Music by Harry Gregson Williams. Both movies are based on Philip K.'s short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. The remake claims it's totally based on the book, but the character names match the 1990 film, not the short story. Both movies made major changes to the book. The book has Mars, assassins, and even aliens. So let's talk about our first experiences with both movies. Reggie, what is your experience with both movies? Let's see. Total Recall, I actually um, didn't watch until I was in college. Uh, I had some friends that were pretty big movie buffs, and like this was around the time Netflix was really starting up where you were still taking DVDs. We did pretty much like a Schwarzenegger movie marathon, essentially. So Commando, Predator, Total Recall was in there, True Lies, and... Um, my first experience of this was just kind of hanging hanging out with friends and watching one of the most ridiculous films I've ever seen in my life. That was my first experience. How about you? I think I saw the original actually when I was really young. Uh, I don't know if I saw it at my house or I, my friend, he had a, one of those cable boxes for the scrambler. So I might have seen it there. But I definitely remember seeing the three-boobed woman when I was pretty young and thinking, that is pretty awesome. Right. <laughs> How can I see more of that? Why is that not in more movies? Right. And that's really the only thing I remember from my youth. <laughs> Three boobs. And I did rent it again um, through Netflix, when, like kind of like you, just the DVDs. And I was like, oh, wow. There's actually kind of a plot here. It's not just about Mars and a woman with three boobs. Right. For me... What about the remake? Yeah, for me, the remake, it's so hard to lock down. I feel like it's one of those movies where maybe it was on TV one day or on HBO, and maybe I watched like some of it and didn't finish it. And <laughs> really, my only real experience with watching this movie in full is basically for this episode. It feels to me... That when I first experienced it, it was just something I, I caught, not necessarily something I was really aware of at the time. Yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean, because I watched it probably after it was released on DVD, and I think I rented it through Netflix again, and I just watched it the one time. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, that was okay, right. and I really didn't haven't watched it since until uh, we did this episode. And uh, I'll just remember Colin Farrell. That's all I could really remember. And they did show the three boob lady again. So yeah. I was happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I don't really remember much. I guess we should sort of get into what was different about these movies. Yeah, we should. But let's actually go over the synopsis and what these movies did the same. Okay. So we start with Quaid and Melina. They're in a desperate situation. When it seems like the end for them, Quaid wakes up and realizes it was all a dream. A dream his wife, Lori, knows he's had several times before. We learn from the news a man named Cohagen is dealing with the Resistance and their leader. We go to Quaid's work. On the way, we see an ad for Recall, a 
technology that implants memories makes them indistinguishable from your own. Quaid discusses recall with a co-worker, Harry, who advises against it, stating, Recall will only fry his brain. Quaid goes to do recall anyway. He even chooses to be a spy. As the recall process begins, it is discovered Quaid already has something planted there, and he is actually a real spy. Recall is cancelled. That doesn't stop Quaid from being attacked by men, and in defense, he kills them. Quaid goes home to tell his wife, Lori, everything. She doesn't seem convinced, claiming it was just a recall, but then she begins to attack Quaid. She is defeated and reveals that his whole life is a lie. The last few years never happened. It was all an implant. Quaid flees and is given some info by another agent. We learn at this time that Cohagen wants Quaid back alive. Also around this time, Quaid realizes that he's being tracked and gets a package with a video from his past self. We learn that Quaid is actually Hauser, and his past self tells him what to do next. Quaid disguises himself to leave, but the technology fails him, and action ensues. Soon after, we meet Melina, the woman from Quaid's dreams. They have a past. It is revealed that Quaid has something in his head he needs to bring to the leader of the Resistance to help their cause. Eventually, someone tells Quaid that he's still in recall, and none of this is real at all. Quaid doesn't fall for it, and escapes with Melina. They meet up with the Resistance and their leader. Just when things seem like they're going well, their location is discovered by Cohagen, and the Resistance leader is killed. Quaid and Melina are captured. Cohagen reveals to Quaid and Melina that this was all part of the plan. Halfhauser infiltrates Quaid and bring the Resistance leader to Cohagen. It's decided to put the memories of Hauser back into Quaid. Quaid, however, escapes with Melina. They both decide to take Cohagen down. After their own respectable action sequences, Quaid and Melina take down Cohagen, stop his plan, and become heroes to all. Or do they? As both movies end ambiguously, letting the audience decide if it was real or not. So that's the synopsis, but there were some major plot differences that I want to just discuss before sure. we get into the deep the deep dive here. So the original has Earth and Mars. The remake doesn't have that at all. It has this United Federation of Britain and the colonies. The 1990 film starts on Earth, but ends on Mars. Mars is not terraformed, but people live in huge domes provided with air. If you leave the safety of the dome, you will die a horrible, horrible death. The Martians, humans who live on Mars, are the ones under Cohagen suppression. The 2012 film is only on Earth, opposite sides of the Earth to be exact. Western Europe, known as the United Federation of Britain, or UFB, where the rich people live, and Australia, known as the colonies, where the poor people live. Transportation between these two locations is made possible through a machine known as the Fall that transport people through the core of the Earth. The people of the colonies are being suppressed by Cohagen. And another major difference is Cohagen's motives. In the original, Cohagen is the Martian governor. He has almost total dominion over Mars. He controls the air. The resistance rebels against him to get air. Quaid knows a secret. The core of Mars is made of ice. Cohagen's people also discovered ancient alien technology. The alien technology would melt the core and fill the Martian atmosphere with oxygen. Cohagen wants to destroy this technology so he can control the air and make the money. In the 2012 film, Cohagen is the UFB chancellor, and he needs land. The UFB is overcrowded, and there's not a lot of room for everyone. Cohagen wants to take the land away from the people of... Okay, you're going to have to help me with this one. Just I'm not 100% sure, um, sure if I got this the motivation right. Cohagen wants to take the land away from the people of the colonies. He wants to kind of fake a war... He wants to say that the colonies are funding the resistance so he can invade them, 
take their land from them and have more living space for the UFB. Does that sound like... It, Does that, that it's uh, it's about what they told us. There's this whole biomech suit army that he's building to get more land. It gets a little, it gets a little I wasn't weird. Sure if that was an army or if that was just the police force, because or is it both? It's I, it's both. Yeah, the police force is being built up, so they have this resistance going on, and it's a great excuse to amass a giant paramilitary police force. That he's going to try to use to take over everything. Here's what I'm thinking. Because I think both of us need to try to figure, wrap our heads around the plot in the second film. Uh Let's start with the glaring issue here. Earth, Mars. Right. Earth, Mars. There needs to be (laughs) Mars in the movie. So the first film, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as you mentioned, he has a dream about Mars. It prompts him to want to go to Recall and live out this like Mars vacation or Mars fantasy. And as simple of a detail as it is, is a huge, huge difference in these two movies. And it's it's almost insane that the second movie doesn't really try to explore space. Like they mention space, but they don't go to space. And that that's kind of a big, not a big part. It is a major plot point in the first film that's just not there in the remake. It's not just a major plot point in the film. It's also a plot point in the short story. And Jessica Biel, you know, one of the cast members of the remake, said that it's more based on the short story. It's like, how do you get rid of this major plot point, Mars, if you're going to be true to the original source material? That was an interesting choice, to say the least. It really was. It's hard to discount how important Mars is. Schwarzenegger is doing his classic Schwarzenegger thing, where he's doing these one-liners, and they're cheesy, and they're fun. Get your ass to Mars. Like that line is iconic line from the movie, and there's no really counterbalance in the new film to get you excited about the location. It's like okay, we're on Earth, and yeah, you know we may go between different parts of the colony and the United Federation, but there's not really a big scene change that really excites the audience, in, in my opinion. It just feels yeah feels like all right, you're on this place, you don't know what's going on, and you're trying to figure it out. I was going to say that the fact that they had to kind of explain it in this opening text, like, okay, this is how the world is set up now, and it's going to be, half the movie's going to take place here, half the movie's going to take place here, and then there's something that connects them, and now watch the movie. It's like, couldn't they have done it a different way to set up their world instead of uh, this opening, which made me roll my eyes and just go, ugh. Yeah, they, they gave themselves a big homework project of trying to describe this elaborate political issue on this fictional world, the first film does a great job of just saying, they're on Mars. Yeah, you get it? Here's Earth, here's Mars. We're going to be here, and we're going to end up here. You got it? Yeah, it's like, okay, in in that film, Earth is kind of, you know, it's kind of boring. People are are bored with their lives, and there's this this recall system that gives people a chance to go on vacations and stuff like that. And what's more exotic than going to a different planet? As a viewer, got it. Cool. Earth sucks, I want to go to Mars. This other film, now I need to understand some sort of geopolitical backstory that really doesn't make a lot of sense because you just scroll text on me. There's just less to be excited about as a viewer. Yeah, there's not really a pull for Quaid's character, I suppose, in the remake. You know, like you said, he wants to go to Mars. He just can't, he's obsessed with Mars. In the remake, he's obsessed with the dream, but that doesn't really take him anywhere. Right. 
it's not a particular place or he doesn't even know if it's real. It's just a dream. But in the original, it's like, I got to get to Mars yeah. somehow or one way or the other. I'm going to get to Mars. And you're like, yeah, you can't wait till he gets to Mars. Yeah. You want to see this happen. Yeah. And they build up this anticipation. And I guess you kind of lose that in the remake. What are you building up to? That's a, I want to see this dream girl. I'm not sure. And from a cinematography perspective, the original film gets to play with so much more. Like, the, the remake has a lot of CGI and things of that nature. It's a more modern, clearly, you know, a more modern film. But you're losing this idea of going from an Earth setting that we're all familiar with and then going to this planet that's not terraformed and you get really interesting backdrops and they do some great universe building with the way Mars is laid out on an economic level. You know, there's the haves and the haves not on this other planet. And it takes you, just like the uh, the character in the film, it takes you as an audience member somewhere you've never been before. So I think it works really well. Whereas the other film, I already kind of don't know what's going on in this universe because like, it's, it's a future space, you know, kind of has a Blade Runner type vibe to it. But I don't really understand the mechanics of the universe and they don't do a great job of explaining it. Yeah, because in the remake, I think Quaid lives in the colonies, right? But then he works at the the UFB. Yeah, so Quaid lives in the colonies, but then he works at the UFB. So he's already in the like the first minutes of the movie. He's already he's going from one location to the other, and I kind of was having a little trouble following it, so I didn't really notice much of a difference. Right. right. I didn't even realize that he had transported. You know, through the Earth's core at this point, I thought he was just on a regular train. I was, uh, I wasn't paying attention fully to that opening text that explained everything. Yeah, because I was like, oh, I'll just learn. I don't need to read this. But wow, I really should have paid attention because oh, he started off in the colonies and he ended up there. Right. But like in the original, you know, you're on you're on Earth for a while. You don't see yeah. Mars for a long time. So yeah, again, there's a nice build up to it, right. and anticipation that you want to get there. Right. But you don't need to go to the UFB. You don't need to see the colonies because you nah. see it in the first ten minutes. You know, I, I like the effect of going from the colony to the UFB. I thought it was really cool that you kind of get the zero gravity moment, and that's shot well. It, it's introduced so quickly with no build up, like you said. All right, it's almost like a parlor trick at that point. All right, cool. The gravity reverses. And the place that you go is nearly identical. So why why even go through the struggle of trying to build out these two separate universes where you really could even have the exact same plot without there being another place. It's just like living in a city where there's people with money and there's people without money. You could just be in another yeah. part of the city that kind of sucks. Like, I don't know why you have to flip the core of the earth to see that people are disenfranchised. It, yeah. It's just more confusing than helpful. And I think they maybe could have done something more with the look to make you realize, like, this is the colonies, it's, like, really the lower class, and just make it make it stand out, so, in contrast to yeah. the, the UFB, and just make it, I don't know, just, like, really slums versus, like, this really nice, clean, these mansions or something. I don't know, give me something, because I... Again, I didn't pay attention to that opening crawl, and I was a little confused. Still, sure. like, oh, he, I didn't realize he was in a new place. Sure, I think uh, what could have helped, and these are these are elements of film. I think what could have helped was with the costume design. Maybe there could have been a more apparent cast system here, where you know the rich maybe, yeah. uh, you know, like in a lot of films, more like flowy robes or you know something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when they wore the Matrix. Right? Yeah. <laughs> when they weren't in the Matrix. Yeah, it's there like. You go. We're rich, you're not, uh, go go fuck yourself, you know? 
Like you said, it's confusing because I don't really know who's being exploited here because everyone more or less seems to be the same, but clearly they're not based on what the movie's trying to tell me. But the movie tells me it, they don't show it to me. And I think that's a big part of, obviously, a movie because you're recording it on film and people are going to watch it. So, And I think part of the problem is just watching the original first and then watching the remake. Well, I'm waiting for him to go to Mars still. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, there's a possibility of Mars. There is a quick mention of Mars when right. we're talking about Recall. So I'm thinking, oh, they're definitely going to go to Mars, right? Because this is Total Recall. That's one of the big draws of the original Total Recall, yeah. Mars. So if you're going into this remake thinking, oh, yeah, I just can't wait till they go to Mars, you are going to be sorely disappointed. So disappointed. You better pay attention to that opening crawl, whatever they tell you about the worlds, because that's where you're going to be the whole movie. Yeah. There is no Mars here. There was almost despair on my part watching the film because I realized that perhaps I'm going to see this entire movie and there's not going to be a Mars element. And that happened. It's it's a bold move. It <laughs> is a bold move. You know, I guess artistically, if you want to make your own film and have it stand on its own, sure. But can you call it Total Recall if you're missing that sci-fi element? Like, there's other sci-fi in this film, but it's just so strange that they don't actually leave the planet because they have the resources as filmmakers to do it. And it just seems like this kind of, it's almost like minority report feeling lit universe that pretty much, it's really bland, to be honest. I couldn't tell you what a, any of the scenery really looks like. Like, I'm trying to recall what the movie even looked like and it's hard to remember it because it's just so generic very gray yeah, yeah super gray pretty much like you described minority report i actually wrote that in my notes like <laughs> nice. this looks a lot like minority report yeah uh, but going back why i think they might have strayed away from mars mm -hmm. is because it's not only mars in the original it's this alien technology right yeah and i think you said that they're trying to make it a little more realistic. Right. And it's like, if you're going to be talking about aliens too, in addition to yeah. like interplanetary travel, and then it's like, it gets a little far-fetched. And I think if they were trying to make a realistic version, it makes sense that you would want to stray away from there the fact that there were aliens and that there's an alien technology that we can, that we can use. That's fair. So I think that might've been the motivation to stay away from it. But man, it's, I really missed Mars. Yeah, I, <laughs> I really I missed Mars, Mars. originally. And, yeah. Well, it so much. Yeah. I want to go back to Mars. I'm like Quaid, man. Let's go back. Right, right. That That's the whole thing that he longs for this this thing that he sort of remembers, but he doesn't remember. Uh, there's a mystery that he's trying to solve, and the mystery is on this location. Like, it's at Mars. Whereas the mystery here is more what are different people's motivations, which, you know, there's elements of that in the first film, but the real mystery is what's happening on Mars let me figure that out. Whereas here, it's like, what's happening to me, the character, and how do how do I figure that out in the context of the UFB in colonies? I was also trying to think of Quaid's motivation for going to the recall, right? Because it's obvious in the first film because he wants to go to Mars. He's obsessed, but his right. wife doesn't really want to go. Right. So he sees this commercial for recall. You don't you don't need to go to Mars because you can already say you've been there with recall. Come to recall. Right. We'll have you thinking you went to Mars. So, oh, I can't go to Mars, but at least I can think I was at Mars. So he goes to recall. I don't exactly understand Quaid's motivation for going to recall in the remake. Um, can you help me out? I, I, I think I think you'll remember a line where, uh, where the wife character says that, do you think that I would be here in a place like this with you? The place he lives is kind of shitty. It seems that they're, they're trying to lay out this universe where he has a monotonous, boring job and a boring existence. 
So like he's trying to shake things up, but it's you got to kind of reach for this stuff because they're trying to lay that out, but I don't think they're doing a great job. You're right. I don't really know what's truly pushing him to go like potentially have his brain zapped. That's the other part of both movies that I think we should address is that there is a risk here in both films to go do recall. The Harry character is explaining that bad things can happen. You could get lobotomized and Arnold's motivation works better for me. He really, truly does seem to just kind of be over that existence. He's really fascinated with Mars. You can see through the film that he wants to go to Mars and it makes sense. Whereas the other one is like, all right, things kind of suck, but like, is it worth potentially losing your identity? I don't know about that. I guess because he was just a little bored with his life. And yeah, he was talking to his buddy Harry. He's like, don't throw away your wife. You got a great wife. So I guess he kind of wanted to cheat on his wife without cheating on his wife. I I think that's the main, maybe. I I think that might just be his motivation. (laughs) He just came back in sale, by the way. It's like, really? You want to cheat on her? Come on. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to get us too far off topic, but there's a line in the movie where his spy power, like, apparently Colin Farrell is really good at seduction. Brian Cranston lets us know that that was one of his best spy powers, that he, he was very good at seduction. And they, like, cut to Kate Beckinsale in that line. It's just like, I think so, yeah. Maybe he just wants to bang somebody <laughs> that's not his wife. <laughs> it's, it's a motivation. It's not as intriguing as, like, why is this guy obsessed with Mars? You yeah. know? Uh, I, I guess I could see why he'd want to recall. Yeah. I could say... Just to get away. Just to, just to get away. Sure. I'll say, too, based on the second, you know, major difference that you pointed out, I'm really confused by Cohagen's motives in the second film. The first film is... It's money, right? Isn't that his motivation? It's money, yeah, just, yeah. I just want money, right? I control the air, so I want more money, and you're going to give me money so you can get more air. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. It's, it's simple. Classic it villain. Simple. I, I'm greedy. I want more. Give it to me. You know, like, all right, cool. And he's decided that Mars was a good place to exploit people because they really don't have a lot of recourse here. So the new film, kind of, he wants more money, but I mean, it's not is, even is money. It, is it for money or is it just power? He really? For, is he gonna, I guess he would make money off of selling the land to people, I, right? Why does he want to be in control so much? I don't know. Can he even do that? <laughs> I, was, I'm, I guess I'm just thinking like, okay, so he's going to invade the colonies. Mm-hmm. It's like a conquering another country. Is that kind of what it's like? And then now it's mine. And now I ha- I own it, and I'm going to sell it to people in my country? Is that so, kind of it? Kind of. So there is a resistance. There is the, definitely a resistance. In this universe. But he's also, it's implied that he is scapegoating the resistance for the things that they're doing, which yes. is like mostly like counter-military. They're trying to like loosen his power grip on the UFB. But he's also yeah. creating fake terror plots. In like, fake news. Yeah, fake news. <laughs> In disseminating it to the people, because like as they're going about their boring gray lives, they're getting these like CNN type news stories. They're like, oh, the rebels have done something else today, and I guess his plan is to fabricate enough terror plots in the news that he can then build up the police force even more, so that he he's actually secretly building a private army. Basically, he needs to make the resistance look so bad that people will accept that he's spending a ton of money on the police force and expanding that reach. And they're kind of implying that they're not really at that point yet, so it has to look even worse to then, I don't know, let him spend billions of dollars on random shit. That's pretty much the plot. Somehow that's going to let him expand to space. Because they throw that in too, right? Like... 
Do they? They kind of say know. that, yeah, somehow he's going to try to expand that army so he can control space as well. I didn't, hear, I, I didn't pick up on that at all. It, wow. It's hard. It, it's really hard to lock down. At the very least, he wants more power through his own sort of private army. And he's, right. he's creating biomech robots to do that. So he needs a war. Uh, he needs to justify the war. Right. And then he'll get more land for the rich people, and he'll make more money. Right. Kind some, of. And some, get more power, I guess. Yeah. he's. So, I guess maybe at some point he's just going to, like, just single-handedly take over because his army's going to be so strong that, like, he's then just, like, a dictator of the world, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't... It's, it's a weird future. Wait. Did they ever explain why the rest of the world was inhabitable? Or I just... No. People just live here and here now. I was going to assume war. <laughs> so he's a chancellor for the UFB. Right. I guess he has all this power. He can amass an army, and he needs to justify a war with the people in the colonies so he can take over them, take their land. Right. And expand the – pretty much expand the UFB, I guess. Right. That's what it's sounding like. It, but he can't do that if the device that goes between the Earth's core is destroyed. Uh, maybe. He can't, they don't have airplanes. They don't have boats. No, the war. The war, Dan. <laughs> he lost them all in the war. Yeah, it's like you could be building other technology to get to the other part. Like, yeah, how does that work? Now that you have me thinking about it, the entire world is so uninhabitable that you can really only zoom through the middle of the Earth's core to other parts. I don't know. It's really confusing, man. It, it is confusing. I I think I kind of understand it. I, <laughs> I think it could have been something else <laughs> but i think i kind of understand it it's for space he needs space and then he'll make money and have more control right is that that's right. what i'm getting okay it's so much easier than the original <laughs> it's so much easier that you're just like the slumlord of mars yeah. like you're just kind of like a dicky guy that like has money and power and it allows you to control the very air that people breathe and like you've monetized something that should be like a basic right it would be like yeah it would be like Trump or someone like that saying, okay, I'm charging everyone for all the water they use. Which, actually, we already kind of do, but like... Yeah, I got a water bill every month. I yeah. don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, God damn it. We need to start a resistance, Dan. <laughs> but no, it's it's more goonish than just like, hey, here's payment for your, you know, water and resources. It's like, oh no, I will, like, I will shut down your air because I feel like it or or it's going to further my objective. And that that's the type of cartoon villainry from Schwarzenegger movies that I can just say no more. <laughs> you can get on board with that. <laughs> Got it. Bad guy. Done. <laughs> it was like Cranston is, he, yeah, he's a bad guy, but it's just such a convoluted, stupid way to do it that it's like, I, it's preposterous really. Yeah, it seems like it would just be easier to, I don't know, maybe try to rehab it, the places that are, like, that you don't live in. Like, there's, like, yeah. so much of the world that nobody lives in. If, if they explained maybe if there's nuclear fallout, then it's covered in nuclear waste, then maybe. Did they? Because that's I, actually a good reason why they wouldn't. I, get, um, but yeah, yeah. I just made that up. I definitely didn't get that from the movie. Well, there, I mean, they, they went to the no zone, whatever that is, like... They had to put on gas masks, and they had to dress like they were in the Book of Eli, so I, I'm assuming there was uh, some kind of radioactive fallout. I, I'm, again, I'm assuming, because the movie doesn't do a great job of telling me. So it's probably I, in the opening text when we missed probably, it. Probably. You know. <laughs> oh, do you want to talk about 
how the original movie was rated R and the remake was rated yeah. PG-13. The original film, there's some um, pretty cool practical effects that, like the eye-popping scene when he's um, out on Mars. It's actually alluded to in his first dream that he's like on the surface and he can't breathe and they do some cool effects there. Um, people get really fucked up. Like, they don't... <laughs> <laughs> like, the way he kills people in the movie is... is it's gory at times, but, like, the way the movie is paced and is done, you don't feel like you're watching, like, some kind of, like, horror flick or, like, some kind of, like, Saw-type movie. It's like, yeah, he's doing, like, crazy over-the-top Arnold action with uh, some blood and guts and stuff, but, like, it also doesn't feel like it's too much. It's, yeah. it's kind of, like, cool to see, like, three boobs, you know? Yeah, some really good practical effects. I, I really appreciated all the practical effects, and, yeah, they were pretty graphic. Yeah, a lot of blood, a lot, lot of blood. A lot of blood. Paul Verhoeven, right? Robocop. Yeah. So yeah, you get a yeah, lot of that yeah. Robocop blood of action. Course. It helps, you know. Like, um, if you're gonna take a mature subject, like, um, basically like a resistance fighters trying to fight for their freedom through violence, yeah, make the violence rated R. Cool. I think part of the the rated R thing, and I think what helps them kind of get away with some of this gore, is there are quite literally mutants in the movie. And I think you're allowed to get away with a little bit more mutant-on-human violence than uh, just human-on-human. So maybe that was just a choice to build out the Mars universe, but I think it also helps them with their rated R scenes where they can do violence in a way that, that's eh, okay, you know, like a guy with, like, three arms. Cool. Yeah. Or, like, a guy with a guy growing in him. Yeah. That's true. Like, I don't know if they could show that in a PG-3. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. Um, going to the original movie, Quado the resistance leader well in the remake he's just a guy right and then in the original he's a mutant living in another guy's torso right and when you see him come out it's just it's, it's pretty it's, disgusting it's really disgusting you can't look away at yeah. the same time and the, the use of practical effects there is really incredible and i don't know if you could show that that's for kid or a little kid to see that like no. for pg-13 i think that would ugh, that might ruin them the cool thing is the rated r stuff is actually some of the scenes that are celebrated about the movie like the that whole eye pop effect is almost like it's like the money shot of the movie it's a really iconic scene in film in general to the point where uh, we were talking about it earlier they won an academy award for some of this stuff you know yeah that type of practical effect actually sort of stood the test of time, even though it doesn't necessarily look super real. It's still a really cool effect. It's still really cool, and I, I think it helps because it's so. The plot is absurd it's in both movies, bananas. and it does help it make it like I guess more realistic. Sure, it's like oh yeah, that could happen. It's not just a computer face that's eyes are popping, or yeah, it's not just a computer animated mutant in the guy's chest, right? Or like even the scene at the airport when he's disguised as a woman. It's, it's all practical. It's yeah. all really there. I think the only CGI effect in the original was the, the x-ray scanner when you saw the skeletons. Yeah. Which is that, everything's practical. Which was also a really cool sequence as well, that they're doing the fight with the skeletons and stuff like that. That was a nice sequence. The two weeks scene where, you know, he's the big, the large woman trying to, like, sneak his oh, way yeah, yeah. past the security. Like, that was really cool. And um, the way they do it in the new film is they're basically just hologram necklaces. I don't know, there's something really fun about Arnold ripping through this, like, fake face and, like, coming out and like, dropping an Arnold Schwarzenegger line and kicking everybody's ass, dressed up like a like an old lady, basically. It was pretty cool. They sort of hinted at it in the remake. Mm -hmm. They had 
the same kind of woman and she was wearing yellow and then she said two weeks again you're like oh that's gonna be colin farrell because that, that was just yeah. like the original but you know the remake does a lot of stuff like that where you're, you're thinking they're gonna go where the original did but right. it's like no it's just a little, little tease of the original yeah here. which is which is fun um, i appreciated those moments i just think that <laughs> not to go too far back in this but i would have appreciated more on mars <laughs> let's actually go to mars yeah but no I, I really do like the practical effects um i know it does look kind of cheesy but it definitely feels like oh yeah this is happening and then you know you watch the the cgi and all the chases and the fights and everything and then it's just it's a little exhausting it's hard to keep track of yeah. um, in the remake and I, I couldn't really get into the action as much yeah. in the remake as I was able in the original, just because it just felt more grounded in reality, sure. even though it's more absurd, <laughs> the plot, but it's just practical effects. I love practical effects, yeah. and they were really well done in the original. Yeah, I guess in the remake, you do you get the more modern action film style that we're seeing these days where like a lot of shaky cam, fast cuts, you know, stuff like that. Oh, lens flares. Lens flares. Oh, oh my god. god. There were so, so I was watching the remake flare. with my wife and I was like, drink every time they show a lens flare. Oh, you we were <laughs> probably was, hammered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a good drinking game. Or a good drinking game if you really want to get hammered, but yeah. oh man, lens flares in that remake. Whew. Yeah. It kind of looked like an in sync music video to me. Like there's like bright lights, things seem to be happening in like metal boxes, more or less, that like people were fighting in. It just it wasn't fun. I guess, like, everything was shot well enough. You know, the choreography, the fight choreography was fine, but, you know, it just... Okay. Like, I've seen stuff like this before. Yeah, it was okay. I think we've seen it before. Like, one of the things I wrote in my notes is, like, Jason Bourne, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, this guy is just this amazing fighter. And then it's like, oh, that's cool. But they drag out the fights so long in the remake. And I just checked out, like, so many times. And so many times in my notes, I'm like, this fight's still going on? you got to be kidding me. It could have just ended. It didn't really add anything. And I would tune out halfway through pretty yeah. much every action sequence because they were just so long and they didn't really bring anything new. Like if they did bring some new stuff, it would be just like the technology, but that would sure. be in like the first few seconds of the fight. And then it would just be like kind of a regular chase. And a lot of it's just chase, like right. just running away. I'll again, say, they're running away yeah. again. They're not going to stay in flight. Come on. The chase sequences made me more confused about the universe. You know, I know confusion seems to be a running topic here, <laughs> but like when they're in like the hover cars and the... When Melina picks him up on, like, the hover track or whatever it is, and he gets in the car, when they get, like, run off of the road, and then he, the car falls onto a bunch of regular cars, you know, I'm like, wait, so there's hover cars, but then there's regular cars, and it's like, why? Maybe that's just the hover cars parked? (laughs) Oh, man, I hope so. I hope so. It just, I don't know, they came across to me by design, like, the hover cars had that futury metal kind of like RoboCop thing going on, whereas like the cars that they landed on looked kind of regular to me. So I was, yeah, does everyone drive hover cars? Do some people not drive hover cars? So again, like that type of stuff completely takes me out of the movie because you haven't done the basics of, uh, you know, just design for your film. Like what, what is the, the theme? Maybe hover cars can turn into regular cars. I guess so. I guess so. You're right. You're right. I, I'm being, I don't know. I'm being too harsh. I don't know. But yeah, if, if you're going to have those like long sequences, like you, you mentioned Jason Bourne, you know, at least do something cool every once in a while. Like we all remember Jason Bourne killed the guy with a book. That was fun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if you're going to do all that flippy, kicky shit, like you got to like, come on, juice it up, man. Like this is yeah. a remake to a Schwarzenegger film. Like you got to impale somebody on a pipe or something, man. Give the people what they want. 
the action was it was really cool the first time you saw Colin Farrell. Like I said, Jason Bourne, and he kicked everybody's ass. But then they never did anything new after that. I, yeah, I think that was fair because like I was actually optimistic in that fight sequence. The way um, he was at recall and they kind of modernized it. You had um, I forget the actor's name, but he was uh, he was in Harold and Kumar. And, he, you know, he's got this slick look. He's got tattoos and stuff. And, and the recall place has more of a kind of like a seedy element yeah. to it. Thought it looked like a brothel or something. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like this almost black market. It doesn't seem like it's it's on the up and up. Whereas, like, the <laughs> the original film, it's kind of like a used car salesman. Which uh, I like that used car salesman. I, I loved it. He, he sold me. I was like, I want this amazing thing. Yeah. It, he's it, like, <laughs> what, what's the same thing every time we take a vacation? You. I was like, oh, it is me. Yeah, I suck. <laughs> you know, like, that sequence was cool because, you know, you're not really sure what's about to happen. And then Cohagen's guys come in and Colin Farrell is kicking some ass, you know. It's pretty cool the first time. But then once it runs too long and you do basically the same thing over and over again, it's boring. And, like, Schwarzenegger switches it up. People die many different ways. You mentioned the one where uh, when he does, like, the hologram, he's like, oh, do you think I'm really Quaid or whatever it is? It's like, I am. Like, that stuff is fun, dude. Like, the same way he... Or like ca- when he kills uh, mm-hmm. Richter and he takes his arms off in the elevator. It's just yeah. Like, oh, uh, my God, and they show everything. Yeah. It's great. It is great action. Yeah. Cheesy, over-the-top. You gotta love it. Schwarzenegger delivering. It's per- the biggest sin that I think we're gonna see with a lot of these remakes is that they don't understand the tone of the films. The consistency of the films and why people like them. It's like, okay, you're making a modern movie based on something that people love. But, like, why did we love it? It was like, yes, it was over the top. It wasn't realistic. But it was fun. And the whole movie stayed fun throughout. So it, it just seemed more cohesive and coherent. Whereas, like, this movie, yeah, okay, you flesh out a plot. There's more to it in terms of a story. But, like, I don't care. Yeah, they definitely don't make it fun at all. Like, I'm just looking at Colin Farrell, and it's like, does he even crack a smile one time in this movie? He looks miserable. I know it's just because he's got a lot on his mind in the character, but it's like, oh, man, he's not having fun. I'm not having fun. But then you got Arnold in the original, and it's like, yeah, I'm having a good time. This is absurd, but, man, he's having fun, so I'm going to go with it. Colin, I mean, he's he's doing a fine job, you know? Like, he's, he's really good with his face throughout the movie. Like, you can see he's conflicted about things. Yeah, can, he emotes a lot better than Schwarzenegger. I mean, he's a much better actor. That's not enough. Some of the stuff that they're making him do is so goofy. Like the piano scene where he's like trying to find the key. And it's just like, why is he playing a full sonata right now? Can we like <laughs> move on, dude? Like he's playing the piano for a very long time. And what's supposed to be an action movie. They never really figure out what pace they want to be on in that film. I thought that was alright. I didn't have a problem with the piano scene. It'll sl- you slow down. They just came from another long chase sequence, so just to take a breather there. And then he had mentioned the piano earlier too to Harry. He's like, "Man, I always wanted to play piano." And then to see him, kind of like, "Wait, maybe I do know how to play piano." Yeah. Jason Bourne of that, piano. That's funny. But yeah, I, I thought that was okay. okay. I didn't have too much of a problem with that. Sounds, that. That sounds like you were paying attention to that part. Okay, I forgot about the piano line. I'm a musician. Probably every time we talk about music, I'm just I lock in. Maybe fair, that's why. Fair enough. Fair enough. I lock in on arms getting ripped off man that's oh yeah that's my <laughs> oh, shit yeah, that draws me in too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah colin farrell he did okay I, I do appreciate that they didn't give him the same one-liners that they yeah, gave yeah. arnold you know but, only arnold can do that that's true and you appreciate that at least they didn't do something stupid like that 
I don't know if they really gave him his own thing to do, but they definitely gave him something different. Yeah. It definitely felt like he was just kind of going through the motions. Like, I don't know any real characteristics of Quaid, I guess you could say. It's like, he's just kind of a regular guy, but now he knows how to fight. Right. I couldn't really describe his character much further than that. Right. The most interesting action sequence to me, um, other than, you know, the first recall fight, which ain't bad. It's a pretty good scene. Yeah. When they're on the fall, they're, you know, switching from the colony to UFB or vice versa, and they go zero gravity, and Quaid is taking out people in zero gravity, that's actually a really cool scene, too. It gets a little goofy, because, like, he's actually using the propulsion of the bullets he's shooting at people to, like, move around in zero gravity. And, like, at one point, he uses uh, his machine gun, almost like a a jetpack of sorts, to, like, get around. But, like, at least it looked interesting, and it was a different type of action sequence. And I I think the movie would have served itself better to kind of mix it up, because they clearly had the ability to shoot some very interesting things. Yeah, it would have been nice to see more imaginative action sequences like that, instead of just, here's a chase, here's a chase in a car, here's a chase, and they're running, it's chase after chase after chase. But going back to that zero G scene, yeah. um, I was watching that with my wife. She had a little trouble with that because she's like, "Why would there be zero gravity towards the center of the Earth? Wouldn't they just be going more towards the center of the Earth? They, w- they would never be in zero gravity That's like, ever." Very, so, very true. <laughs> if they're going for the more yeah. realistic, unless they're like they're hitting some kind of free fall speed that allows for that, but like it's it's not really the same awesome. mechanic, you know. Well, then they would be in that free fall speed the whole time. Exactly. They're approaching the center of the Earth. You're right, because it's not like you're getting faster as you go to the center yeah. of the Earth. You're right. Yep, no, I'm back. Yep, you're right. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it until she pointed it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is dumb. But it's, I'm going to go with it. I gave that a pass. So you I was know, okay with that. And it's okay to give stuff a pass because, I mean, clearly we're giving a pass to the first film because oh. not any of it is really realistic on any oh. level. But there are they, so many absurd things happening in the first film that you're just like, wow. <laughs> but I guess kind of happens often. So you're just, you're never like, well, that's stupid all of a sudden. There's a consistency to the stupidness of the first yes. one. So you, you're not like taken out of it. Like the terraforming stuff. Like, it's ridiculous that you would terraform an entire planet in like two Unless minutes. Less than a minute. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the effects of that would be so violent on yeah, um, be like anything. Storms, having, it would be like decades, maybe centuries of storms. Who knows? It, it would be ridiculous to change climate somewhere that quickly, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't want them to die. That's like, I guess it could happen yeah. in a minute. <laughs> Why yeah. not? It's a small planet, maybe. Maybe. I guess the problem that we've sort of identified here is that if you're going to go real, go real. But if you're going to try to mess around with reality like that, we're not going to forgive you because you set up a universe in which everything plays by the laws of physics and reality. Whereas, like, the first one was like, hey, look, man, I'm giving you a bunch of crazy shit and you just <laughs> have fun, you know? Like, like there's this one scene, like, just, like, Arnold's just, like, super strong in the original, right? He's yes. breaking mirrors. He's jumping through the x-ray machine. He's one time strapped into a chair and through sheer force is able to rip one of the straps off stab a guy in the it's, neck with it. I was just like, it, man, like, it's so absurd. You know, like <laughs> steel. Like, it's it's like a yeah. heavy... It wasn't a strap. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was steel. He ripped it <laughs> off. Um, in the in the remake, Colin Farrell has a very similar scene. Well, it's, it's, it is, in fact, the same scene. You know, just Yeah, they're going to re-implant the Hauser 
right. memories to Quaid. So <laughs> both scenes, yeah. Arnold's like strapped into this metal chair, yeah. and Colin Farrell's a little more. It's like it, just regular straps. Yeah, it's like a it's just a regular like um hemp fiber like strap. Like there's not much to it. But even that bothered me because of how quickly he broke out of it. Because the guy like just put him into it, and he was like, "Rip." I didn't even Wait, see like in the in the remake. Yeah. Oh no, you didn't see. Uh, there's a detail there. His ah, buddy man. that set him up with all the information that he called him on his hand phone. Yeah. Uh, that he was there and he didn't tie one strap on one of his hands. Ah, he left it loose. Man. Yeah, you gotta pay attention there. God, it's so hard to, re- to pay I attention. I rewind bro. that scene three times to get all the details. How the guy didn't tie the guy in and how he died because I couldn't pay attention to who was shooting who at one point. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank you for that again because it's just so easy to check out. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So easy. Because I was like, what the fuck's going on with the arm thing? And, like, I couldn't be bothered to, like, watch it again. <laughs> God bless you for uh, for doing oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah, that was, I rewound that scene a lot of times. It, you have to, because it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I was like, wait, how did that guy die? I, he just helped him. I don't understand how he's dead. That, I, that was my main problem with that. The, the cuts in this and some of the action sequences yeah. were a little bit too fast, and I couldn't follow. Yeah. Yeah, that's another reason I couldn't follow the action. Just a lot of quick cuts. Man. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, like, even sort of leading up to the scene where he, he pulls the strap off, just the way Cohagen's guy is, like, Kool-Aid man into the Resistance building is just, like, what, what is going on? Like, that stuff I actually had fun with because of how absurd it was. But again, because the movie's not trying to be absurd, it, uh, it doesn't really help further the plot. I want to actually go back to motives mm-hmm. and talk about Quaid's character. Sure. In the original you find out that Quaid was Hauser, and Hauser is actually, it was his idea to infiltrate the resistance, right? Right. And to get this implant to become Quaid. And what happens is he takes on this new persona of Quaid, right? Sure. And that's not really who he is. He was Hauser, this bad guy, and he wanted to trick these people so he can infiltrate them, but he takes on this new Quaid persona, and he runs with it. He's told that he can be Hauser again, his new persona says, no, I'm going to stay as Quaid and help these people. Where in the remake, Hauser himself actually realizes, oh, this is bad. I need to help these people. So when he becomes Quaid, it was actually Hauser's decision to mm-hmm. be good or do good. Right. And even so he's he's really a good guy in the remake. But in the original, he's actually a bad guy that took on this good guy persona. And the good guy persona just took off. Right. And he was never able to go back to being a bad guy i thought that was really interesting that is, that in the is, original that he's actually the original hauser is a bad guy he never had this his conscience never hit him we're like oh i need to help these people he was going to be a bad guy forever right if it was his way but in the remake hauser became a good guy no you're right like that's a that's a really cool takeaway that the character is the villain <laughs> it's actually against his nature to be the good guy it's never really addressed that, wait, you're not, this isn't really who you are, or who are we really? It's, it's really confusing when you have to think about it too much. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting that Hauser never himself decided to do good. It was this Quaid implant that just took over. And I don't know if the movie wanted to play with that. It doesn't really go into it too much. It was just more me thinking, like, this is kind of confusing. Yeah. So I guess... It's an interesting concept. I guess I wish the original dove into it a little bit more than sure, now. Sure. Like, who are we? Are we this who we were? Or if you take on a new persona, is that who you are? Right. I 
I guess the, that's one area I wish the original covered. And the remake just says, no, he's just turned a good guy, and that's right. why he's doing all this good stuff. Now, you know, you're getting into this element of the choices that we're making, are they just really based off of what we believe our memories are? Mm-hmm. By changing your memories or messing with your memories, it's actually affecting your ability to do good or to do evil. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to explore that, but it's in there. They should make a sequel and just maybe dive into that more. I think that'd be really interesting to go into. Yeah. Why not? You could reboot it again in a... <laughs> oh great we'll do another episode yeah because i mean i think that's that's why you know that reboot got off the ground that people are fascinated by these elements and we're we're kind of expecting that reboot's gonna explore a lot of the fun stuff that captured our imaginations in the first film and it, it misses the mark by just getting too muddied up in a story that like the parts of the story we don't care about you know i think yeah, it would have been interesting if they said like who are we? Are, if our memories play a lot of who we are and our memories are fake, it's like, what are we? That, that would have been really interesting for the remake to explore. Yeah. That's actually very cool. I'll, I'll work on that script, don't worry. Yeah, yeah no, cool. We're going to be rich. Very thought-provoking. Yeah, I know. The original didn't really go there, but it, it was there in the original. Right. So I thought it was worth talking about. We, I guess one of the other things we didn't really talk about was the mutants versus no mutants. Right. Obviously, in the original, you have Mars, and because people get bad air they mutate <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i guess there, maybe there's, there's that science again maybe there's some and radioactive course, element to uh the air coming in or something like that and in the remake of course you don't have mutants because there's no mars and there's no bad air what do you think about mutants versus no mutants you know we we touched on it a little bit in terms of with the violence and you know the r rating but in terms of creating the us versus them environment it's a little bit more natural to see that element when, when people are mutants. The decisions of the bad guy have affected the population in a way that they're they're mutating. And like it's just so clearly fucked up. You know, it's like it's a messed up thing that Cohagen's doing to these people. But it also gives them their own character, their own personality that for you as a viewer, now you do know what the resistance, quote unquote, is in this film because it's the people who are... Who's, very health and livelihood are being affected and it's changed the way they look so that for a viewer you know good guys versus bad guys in a very easy way because of uh the mars mutations that are happening i like it it's more kind of goofy stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be there but like is all part of the world building of the director and you know the people doing the cinematography it's just like yeah it's it's a cool element and it makes mars uniquely distinct from from earth I'm a fan of the mutations in that sense. No, you bring up a good point, though. It gives a face to the the people being uh, oppressed by Cohagen. I can't put a face to the people in the remake. No clue. Uh, Just regular people. They don't spend any time with them. You don't see any of them except for maybe some people in the resistance yeah it's like yeah you, now they think about it i can't put a personality or a face on the people no in it's, the remake. it's like you know okay a couple guys in like dusters and some yeah. like fallout zone but like why do these people resist i guess because brian cranston or you know cohagen's evil like like i guess that's why they're resisting but people's motivations aren't really fleshed out enough in the new film whereas yeah. having something as simple as hey, dude, the air that you're pumping in here is poison. It's radioactive, and it's changing everyone's DNA effectively. It's like, 
all right, you're clearly doing something very evil here that needs to be addressed. But at the same time, it's giving these people more personality for the viewer. I think it's a, a smart, smart choice. Good points. I can't think of anything to add. You kind of nailed it right there. Uh, you know, Dan, I think about mutants all the time. You know, mutants <laughs> and ghouls and things of that nature. And you know, I'm I really like X-Men when you were younger. I'm, I'm pro-mutant. <laughs> <laughs> We, we talked about this a little bit during, like, the Willy Wonka movie, the, like, the addition and subtraction of characters and how it helps the movie or, you know, doesn't help the movie. The Richter character, which is in the original film but not really in the remake. What, what's not your take on that? All. What do you think? Do you think we need Richter? Or... I like Michael Ironside. I definitely appreciated his performance, but I, I think the remake did it right there. I don't think you really need him because then you just stick with the wife, Lori, and, you know... Might as well just stick with Kate Beckinsale. You didn't need to get rid of her and replace her with some random other dude. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have minded like, if we just stuck with Sharon Stone, I suppose, in the original. Yeah. It's kind of cool to just consolidate that because, you know, Richter is effectively doing the same thing. It's just like yeah. now there's just multiple people chasing him for the same reason. It does help to just consolidate that into less moving parts because otherwise it just gets a little busy for no real reason. Ironside, though, you're right. Like, it's a great performance, and his interactions with Arnold are a lot of fun. But uh, from a storytelling perspective, you really don't need him. Yeah, you don't need him. You didn't need him or his associate, that guy with the glasses. I don't even remember that guy's name. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, they were both missing in the remake. I didn't really miss them too much in there. So I was fine with that decision. You give uh, Kate Beckinsale enough. She was able to carry it, I felt. Yeah, I think, she did. I think she did a uh, pretty, pretty yeah. damn good job. And she's good at the action sequences, so no problems there. The, the original. It was a very character-driven movie. Everyone kind of has their own sort of over-the-top performance that's going on, and it all plays really well together. The other film, you know, of course, everyone's got personality and everything, but I just feel like the characters don't get a, a lot of chances to really make an impression like you see in the first film. All right, so let's talk about the actors that play Cohagen. We have Ronnie Cox in the original and Brian Cranston in the remake. Now, Ronnie Cox, he's good in the role. I think he's pretty much doing the same role that he did in the first RoboCop movie, right? Old white guy that just, like, has all the power. Yeah. I didn't see too much of a difference. I mean, I liked his role in RoboCop, so I was fine with him pretty much being the same character sure. in this movie. Sure. You know, plugging right into this film, the villain ultimately didn't need to have a lot of backstory behind him. I think we talked about that a little bit where... It, Really, his main focus was greed in general, not even spe specific greed. So plugging in that same sort of RoboCop, I'm an old white guy character works for this movie as well. And then you have Brian Cranston. I think this is around the peak of like Breaking Bad, right? Sure. So it's like Brian Cranston's in a movie. You know it's going to be good because you know at least his role is going to be good. And I don't feel like he did too much in this movie. I thought what he did was okay, but right. I don't know. I guess because, you know, I guess I'm measuring him against his Walter White character. So you really want that menacing Brian Cranston character. And he does okay here. Right. He doesn't have clearly the same material to work with. Obviously, like Breaking Bad is so well written and so well paced. Whereas here, there, there's moments of it. I think he, he actually brings a little bit more gravity to the film than you have previously to him really being introduced in his acting. But at the end of the day, because the motivation for his character is so ambiguous and strange, it almost becomes ranty a little bit. Like, he's going on this rant, and you're not even really sure what he wants. And, you know, Brian's giving you great facial expression. He's giving you this acting with a little bit more weight behind it, but there's no weight in the character itself. 
So he's not really working with a lot. I'm like a Walter White that's nuanced, subtle. You know what his motivations are. You see where his downfalls are and how he how that character falls into those traps. I don't know a lot about Cohagen in this film at all. That's definitely a problem with the motivation. Just not understanding exactly what he wants. So you can't exactly understand what kind of villain he's supposed to be. Right. I guess that's why I just couldn't get my head wrapped around right. his character in this movie. But he does have an action scene at the very end of the movie. I didn't expect a little martial arts out of him at the very end. It's like, what? You know how to fight? Yeah, he's got Colin Farrell in the arm lock at one point. Honestly, when I was watching the end of that film, it seems like all the villains are easily distracted in that movie because usually like action or someone's about to get shot, but then there's a noise over in that corner or something blows up in the corner. It's like, oh man, what's that? And then... That happens a lot. Like, at the end, Brian Cranston has Colin Farrell in his arm lock, and he's, you know, he's winning the fight. And then, like, a random explosion happens. He's like, what? <laughs> like, it's like, uh, you know, maybe stay on task with your evil. <laughs> stay on target. I mean, honestly, if you're going to deploy a private army of robot mech bio thingies, you should expect there to be explosions and crazy shit happening around you. So, honestly... One more explosion shouldn't be the thing that foils your whole plot. In both movies, you have the Quaid Hauser character. The main villains don't want to lose him because he's such an asset. So even though he doesn't remember who he is, there's a part of both of the villains that want to keep him around because they know how badass he is. And there's a lot of times in the new movie, almost more so than the original, where it's like, no, at this point, you just need to kill this guy. Like yeah, I, like I didn't really understand why they kept him alive in the remake. Like in the original, it showed that Cohagen and Quaid are really good friends. Right. That even in the video where he sees himself in the past, like they're just laughing that like ha 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 we did it. Yeah. And they're not friends in the remake, so why did he decide to keep him alive? Yeah, I guess he could have just killed him after uh, he found the rebels and killed uh, Matthias. At that point, you weren't able to re-brainwash him or have him go revert back to be the true Hauser character. And you're so close to finishing your objective. At that point, because there's a lot of times where they're actually trying to kill him, it's like they waffle back and forth. It's like you have a gun, he's in front of you, you probably want to shoot him at this point instead of going on another diatribe about your evil plan. But I guess that's all evil villains to some extent. You know, you always have to have that prepare to die Mr. Bond moment. It just, like you said, it seems in the newer movie that there's less excuses for why they don't just finish him off throughout the film. Yeah, because like we said before, Quaid already turned, or Hauser already turned. It wasn't that way in the original. In the original, Hauser was bad. Right. And he was going to stay bad if you got him back. But if you made... Wow, that's actually a great point that you bring up because he's not even on their side anymore. No, so were they trying to give him back his old memories? And he would still be against them. Right. So I don't understand I, oh, that's if a, that's what they were doing. or Unless they were going to give him new memories to make maybe. him a bad guy again. That's, I guess it wasn't explained. To yeah, that me. seems like a plot hole. I didn't even think about it like that. Because you're right. In the original film, he doesn't want to go back to being this bad guy. And yeah. then in the new film, because he's actually already so capable, he's getting himself out of all these situations and fighting people and stuff like that. It doesn't make sense to give him back his old memories because then he's just going to be more of a badass and he still doesn't like you. And now he'll know more things for some reason. Right. He'll be able to play way more piano. Yeah. (laughs) You have to listen to him play goddamn Moonlight Sonata every day. And I had a problem, I guess, with the casting in the remake. Sure. Because I think Kate Beckinsale and Jessica Biel kind of look the same. Yeah, that... 
That is so accurate. Like, the only way I was telling them apart was literally their hair. I, Even that for me, it was just like, wow, I can't tell who they are. Rachel Tikatin and Sharon Stone, like, obviously look different. Very different. They have different skin. They have different hair. Like, everything about them is different. Yeah. And it's easy to tell who's who. But Jessica Biel and Kate Beckinsale, it's like, oh, can, can we have casted a blonde maybe yeah. somewhere? Or, like, make their outfits different. <laughs> yeah. Give me something. It's, it is distracting because amount of screen time that Kate Beckinsale has early in the movie to just introduce someone that looks so similar makes it really difficult to remember who's doing what in the film, who's the bad guy, who's not the bad guy. Because again, the way that character works, there's times where the Kate Beckinsale character is trying to get Hauser back on their side as well. So not only are they trying to implant memories, they're also, she's kind of working angles like, hey, we're a good team, we work well together. They have this sort of newfound romantic relationship so if you're going to have a villain that also at times is trying to convince your hero to be on her side you need the other person that's clearly on the hero side to be unique which i think you get in the first film they're two completely different people it's very easy to tell who is who and what their motivations are whereas in the new movie i think really the biggest weakness is how jessica bill gets introduced she just kind of appears it's in the middle of an action sequence it's like, why are you introducing this character right now? Maybe there could have been a lead up that led to the chase. Where it's like, she found him and says, oh my God, like, I found you. And then that kind of initiates a chase. But to have it in the middle of this crazy hover car sequence. And then it's like, oh yeah, also, I'm that lady that we alluded to at the beginning of the movie. And scene. It actually doesn't do her a lot of service as far as introducing her to the audience. I will, I guess, nitpick a character trait of Sharon Stone's character sure. in the original. You know, she's Lori, she's Quaid's fake wife, but she's also in a relationship with Michael Ironside's character, Richter. You see this, he first gives her a kiss um, after it's revealed that she's really a spy or something. Sure. And he's, he's, he's really in love with her, I guess, is what the movie kind of conveys. He gets really angry right. when Quaid kills Lori. But it's like, I didn't understand the point of them having a relationship because Richter already hated Quaid. Right, And right. after he kills Lori, he still hates Quaid. So I don't feel like having the two of them be in a relationship, it didn't really do anything for yeah. Richter's character or it didn't, it didn't put Quaid in any more danger because Richter already hated him. So right. I just thought it was a little necessary to put those two characters in a relationship. Yeah, it kind of looked like one of those studio notes, you know, where some Hollywood hotshots like, hey, what if those two were uh, together in some way? And then, you know, they just shoehorn it in. It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't do much. Uh, honestly, I think what would have been a more interesting dynamic would have been those two sort of competing, like ultimately one of them wanting to be the one to take out the great Quaid, you know? It, isn't it weird that Richter would have just been cool with that plan? I you mean, know? I guess if he gets paid enough money, I guess so. he'd be cool with it. But it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting to see them compete. And if he killed Laurie yeah, instead. that would have been... Yeah, then it would have given his character more depth, obviously, that he's, he really is this dangerous guy who'll do anything right. to get ahead, to get his goal. So it would have been more interesting. Yeah, that would have given Richter more weight, you're right. I think that it would have been cool to see the dynamic of Richter kind of going for like the strong guy approach to trying to take out Hauser, and then maybe having this like femme fatale character that is using her feminine wiles, as it, as it were. You know, it's just a different approach to trying to kill somebody. Would have been yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, so it's definitely a good move for the remake to just make those characters one character. Yeah. I didn't have any problem with Kate Beckinsale. Is going back to it, it's Jessica Biel. 
like I just she nothing. Like, she gave me nothing. Yeah. I didn't really understand her character's motivation exactly, and she I don't know. It was just I guess a flat delivery that left no impression yeah. on me, and she looks too much like Kate Beckinsale again. Which and, is actually that's kind of funny in the context of the movie. They have that like fake out where um, yeah. Kate Beckinsale has a neck hologram of Jessica Biel. And just like, oh, I guess that was a different person. Yeah, it's so funny. I was like, I was writing in my notes. I was like, you didn't need the fake face because <laughs> you look exactly the same. Oh, <laughs> you man. just have your regular face. Yeah. I thought that was so funny that they actually did that. <laughs> I was cracking up it was... for all the wrong reasons with that scene. That seems kind of crazy, too, that somehow in the... That in sequence, somehow they got mixed up enough that the wrong protagonist is in the excuse me, ambulance with him or whatever the hell that was. Where would there have been time for someone to swap in and not be the person that's like clearly in the scene? You know, like like Jessica Biel didn't go anywhere. They never went anywhere. So how does like Kate Beckinsale just do that fake out? Like it, it was kind of confusing. Because like when would that took, even have happened? Uh, yeah, the way I took it was that. I don't know what Jessica Biel was doing at that point, but I'm just going to assume that Kate Beckinsale just snuck into that ambulance thing and that she just put on this mask without telling anybody and nobody was really looking for her. And she didn't really do a switcheroo. She just kind of went in. I didn't really take her as okay. actually taking her place until like the very last second. I mean, that's just how I interpret no, it. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know, man. Neck holograms is just, eh. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not as fun as having the full body suit. Well, obviously you couldn't have Colin Farrell be that, that big woman because he has the body of a man. So right. he had to be a man at the thing, but you had Arnold do this funny thing. It's he's so dressed funny. Up as this huge woman. So and just funny. Two weeks, two weeks. Two it was weeks. such a great sequence. It's a fun sequence. That's so and much there was fun. No, no fun in the remake when they did that. It was just like, it's just glitching. At that point, it's like, all right, like, I guess your tech is shitty. Yours is malfunctioning for some reason. You know, like the other one, it's so preposterous to be like this full on suit that just kind of like covers you. It has to be a big suit too to cover Arnold, you know? Yeah, like I can definitely see that glitching out. Like that's fun. The Arnold tech makes more sense to malfunction based on, again, on the universe that we're in. Whereas like this more futury Colin Farrell tech, it, it's kind of weird that technology is failing in that universe. I'm probably being too harsh, but I, I do just prefer people being large women. <laughs> Than just like uh, hologram. It, you're right. It's just way more fun. I thought there was some cool technology in the remake. Just going to when he first did the recall, there was that sort of camera gun that shot into the room. That was and cool. It, like shrapnel. There was like cameras everywhere in the room, and then they were able to view the room from like every angle possible. I thought that was really. Cool that was technology. really cool. The handphone was you know kind of cool, but then it was really cool when you could put it to a piece of glass and then you could see everything on a huge display so they definitely did some cool things with technology absolutely absolutely even just the hover cars like kind of complained about the scene but yeah no that's cool the tech was really really cool it created a lot of lens flare but it it was definitely (laughs) (laughs) a damn lens flare yeah i know they had the smart fridge something we have now right bridges i don't know if we had those in 2012 but not not really definitely have them now yeah the remake actually does a really good job with the tech I have to put advantage in that field for the remake just because you're getting the neck holograms, the handphones, like you mentioned, those like minority report screens. The technology is truly integrated into the universe in a way that makes sense. The technology works more because actually everyone is using it, whereas in the original Earth is kind of like the Earth we are used to and Mars is a little bit more techy. 
But in this remake, everything is kind of integrated, and it makes sense in the world that they built. It seems very practical. Like mm-hmm. everybody, like you said, everybody's using it. It's everyday stuff that it's just more advanced. Yeah. Uh, everything's smarter, I guess. Yeah. It does a good job of giving you that futuristic feeling. So if you're not going to go to Mars, at least it gives you, okay, this is the future. All right, I now have a setting in the film. Whereas the original, you know, we knew when it was filmed. So that's your context, but it's not really clear necessarily that it's 1984, you know, or whatever time it is in the film. 2084. Okay. 2084, and they have uh, the worst picture phones <laughs> in yeah. the world. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the tech in the original. So okay. like I said, they had, they had these picture phones, these huge <laughs> devices that have the smallest screens on yeah. them. But they tried. <laughs> you could appreciate it. Absolutely. It was in uh, 1990. The one thing that my wife really liked was when Quaid gets to the reception office in the original and she's doing her fingernails with just like the touch of a pen. That was my cool. My wife was like, that's so cool. That was cool. I think the equivalent in the new film is, I think the receptionist has like a tattoo. It's almost like an LED tattoo. So it shifts and like changes. Oh yeah. Uh, they had those cool tattoos. Yeah. I guess that was kind of like their play off of that scene. But no, it was actually pretty cool in the original that she's changing her nails and Lori had the hologram tennis instructor yeah. in her house. That's one thing that we could possibly get from the original movie. Sure. But here's one thing I definitely don't want. Johnny Cabs. Johnny Cab. Oh, man, I'm glad you brought that up. Terrifying thing. That is... Oh, it's so scary. That's like their version of Lyft and Uber at that <laughs> point, you know? I just don't understand why you need this sort of Chuck E. Cheese animatronic guy... And he's like cracking jokes and stuff too. It just you got to give him a personality. It could be long cab rides. You never know. No, I, I'm with you. You could we can get rid of the Johnny Cabs. I don't think they brought enough to the film. Honestly, they did creep me out, and that part did take me out of the film a little bit because it didn't really match the tech. You know, like yeah. all right, cool. There's a robot driver, I guess, but instead of it just being a self-driving car, they quite literally made a robot. Didn't need it. They did not need that. They probably just put the robot there so you could see Arnold just rip it out with his, again, absurd strength, <laughs> which just breaks everything. It's... So you could just see him rip it up, and then you could just see it blow up later yeah. for, for the smallest reason. It just blows up. It's like, what is happening? This movie is nuts, but it was yeah. still fun as hell. But it's just over there... the top in every way. I feel like there should have been a technological reason why he was so strong. Like, they should have probably alluded to some sort of gene editing. Uh, at least the new film, at least they explain that there's, like, this biomech technology that's making this police force superior than your average human. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Interesting. Yeah, like, uh, that's why all the police were robots. Uh, they looked like just regular robots, but th- they used the term biomech, so I guess there was some sort of either DNA component or something that also made them biological, not just machine. And I think if you had almost like an iRobot scenario where it explains why Arnold Schwarzenegger is so tough, that would have been cool. I guess we were all just used to Arnold Schwarzenegger being a huge, tough guy at that point. So I just, I guess I'll throw it out there. Arnold can wrap a nice turban around his head when he needs to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's right. pretty absurd, the reason. It's like, oh, they can uh, was... track you, but if you put this wet towel over your head, it'll jam the signal. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuzzy tech. It's right. not quite convincing me. Uh, it might have been convincing in 1990, but it definitely doesn't hold over today. Yeah, the, the wet towel defense. It's like, all right, so what happens when, like, rainy days? Like, how does this how <laughs> You does just this can't work? trace anybody. Yeah. I guess that film has the grosser removal of the tracker. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Again, it's that use of the practical effects. And right. I really dug it. You know, that's not really Arnold's face because there's no way you can get that out of somebody's nose. Yeah. But it was just so interesting to watch, and I really appreciated it. Just watching Arnold reach in through his nose and pull out this huge golf ball-sized object. It was crazy. It, it, it was crazy, but I bought it. Yeah. If you had I've... done that CGI, I don't think I would have bought that at all. No, no. It wouldn't have been the same. Not at all. Yeah. As opposed to just cutting something out of your hand, which is definitely more believable. But uh, it was just so cool. Yeah. Just so cool to see him pull it out of his nose. Well, I will say that because they don't have the same access to CGI, it is impressive that they're able to portray this futuristic tech because, you know, a lot of stuff had to be hand-built. A lot of care has to go into making real-world items look like futuristic items. And, of course, you know, the new film, it's hard to knock it just because they have the advantage of CGI. But I'm going to knock it because 2012 <laughs> CGI does not hold up. You know, practical effects. Even though they don't really look real, it holds up a lot better than things that you know aren't real. Because your eyes are telling you that is just some 3D model bullshit right now. Yeah, I don't think it looks bad, the remake. But yeah, it's, it's all computer animated. So I guess it doesn't hold my attention as much. Right. Because I guess you've seen it so many times before. They have to do something to yeah. keep, draw your attention in. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of zone out. Because, oh, it's another future world. I don't really have to pay attention. As opposed to the original where it's all practical. It's all really there. You're just curious, like, how they're going to use it or how they're going to do that. Like, how is he going to pull it? Oh, my God, that's how they're going to do it? Right. Wow, it's shocking and really satisfying to watch. Okay, let me just say one more thing about the action sequences. I know I already ripped on the action sequences a lot, but I guess one of my problems was that there was no stakes ever. You'd always have Melina and Quaid getting chased by Lori, and there were these long chases, and nothing happened. They'd start getting chased, and then they'd get away. They'd start getting chased and get away. Like, nothing ever changed. Right. Like, in the original, I know it has more characters, but at least people were dying. You know, there was stakes. Yeah, Even pe- though, like, Sharon Stone's character was kind of like Michael Ironside's, you know, she died. And then you had Michael Ironside's, like, assistant, he died. And then the people that were helping Quaid and Mel, they died. So right. there was stakes toward every fight. But in the remake, nobody died. It was the same thing over and over yeah, again. Yeah, besides Harry... I mean, he's not even in the film long enough for you to really care that that happened. A lot of the villains are basically robots, so who really cares if they die, you know, faceless masses. I think one thing the original does well to add stakes is to have almost this hostage situation with the air. These people need oxygen, and our main characters have to find a way to get it to them before they die. So, like, you have stakes built in right there. Whereas, you know, it's an action movie. You don't know if the main characters are necessarily going to die because they usually live in action films. But because you brought in this element of you've got to protect the people of Mars, it actually adds some stakes and makes things a little more interesting. And they made Mel and Quaid friends with people on Mars. Right. So there were people that you could connect with. Like, oh, I know this person. Like, he helped them earlier. So, yeah, you could be like, oh, I don't want him to die. But right. you weren't introduced to anybody right. other than the main characters in the remake. That's so true. if people were going to die, they weren't people you knew. You didn't really feel the effect of it. I think the action sequence where Benny tries to take them out with the drill, it's cool because there's a betrayal there. You know, they trust him. He's helping them out, it's seemingly, with things. And then all of a sudden, he's trying to kill them. Interactions like that help you, as an audience, enjoy the action scenes a little bit more because you don't know who you can trust. So when you add an element like that, it's like, oh, shit, like anybody could be against him. It could even make you doubt Quaid and uh, the Melina character's motivation. Is Melina really on his side as well? So there, there's more intrigue in the original in terms of where some of the action can go. 
there's a lot more characters in the original, but they're a lot more interesting than the fewer characters we get in the remake. Right. Even in the remake when they introduce the Rebels, it's so yeah, we, short. We, we, we barely meet the Rebels. We introduce to Matthias for a minute, and then he's killed yeah. right away. Yeah, it's like, all right, like I guess that guy was cool. <laughs> I guess I'll miss him. Was there three minutes of screen time for the Rebels? Like, he didn't really do anything. Like The original reason for the Rebel leader was so he could read Quaid's mind. In the remake, he doesn't read Quaid's mind. They right. hook him up to a machine. So right. We don't even need this guy. Right. <laughs> He's the leader. We don't see him leading or doing anything. Missed opportunity there in the remake. I think it's little elements like that that really make the difference in these films. Because when you're watching it, it's really not a bad film. It's just not interesting. The subject matter was handled so well in the original and then in the remake. It's like, okay, like a couple, couple more bells and whistles with the tech. You're trying to ground it in reality, but you, you never gave us that character-driven story. And that's huge for any film. You know, you can forgive a lot of crazy plot holes if you're behind the characters. It's so much more interesting. You don't know what you're going to see next because it's a completely different planet. You don't know who you're going to see next. You don't know who you can trust. There's just so many things playing at once and it's pretty well balanced yeah and then the remake doesn't have any of those really no, no. i don't really care what i'm gonna see next because we're still on earth there's not really that element of trust can i trust anybody and the characters just aren't that interesting no they're not i think we also had a note about the sequences where the character in the audience are sort of questioning whether or not things are happening so there's like those scenes towards the middle of both films where someone is trying to convince the Quaid character that what's happening is not real, that they're in recall, their brain isn't functioning properly. Yeah, in the original, Quaid's just at a hotel, and he gets approached by the guy that you've seen in the recall commercial. And in the remake, there's almost like a police standoff in the hotel lobby or something. And then his friend Harry is the one that tries to convince him that he's in recall still. I guess the remake probably addresses that in a much more realistic and, I guess, smart way. I don't know if I'd call it smart, but I'll get into that later. Yeah. Like, the recall commercial guy showing up, it's a little a little over the top, you know? I don't know. I think that's believable. If, hmm. if there was a problem with some technology that I was using, and I saw my friend, who I don't know if I can trust, then I would question it. But if I saw the head or the guy from the commercial like actually in front of me, then I'd say, oh, maybe there is actually a technical error. It would make sense that they would use his image um, if there was a problem with this technology. It would make less sense that they had to get my friend. They can't just help me. They had to use my friend. Right. It wouldn't make sense to me. But seeing the original guy, like, oh, yeah, I guess there's an error. So, sure, how do I get out of here? I thought that was more clever. They subtly set him up, too, because you see him in the commercial on the train. I feel like they should have used it. I don't think it was over the top Hmm. at all. I think it was the right choice in the original. Now that you're saying that, it actually becomes a hindrance because it's such a conundrum. Like, it's almost like trying to solve, like, a word problem because they're just trying to explain the phenomena of, like, this cognitive disassociative disorder, whatever the hell it is, where it's like, oh, yeah, you're in recall, but your brain's confused. It's me, your friend Harry, but you're actually just projecting your friend because in your mind that makes sense to you. Like, they ask him why he's wearing a bulletproof vest, and he says, you put the bulletproof vest on me. It just, it, yeah. it gets really weird. And then when Harry hands Jessica Beale the gun back, he takes the gun from her in this standoff and then hands it back to her to try to prove that this isn't a real thing that's happening, that it's all in his mind. It's a very long scene and a very confusing one because they're trying to introduce way too many elements at once. Yeah. 
I know they're trying to confuse Colin Farrell's character, but you're confusing the audience now. Because <laughs> what... And I think you have it right. There's just too much going on during that sequence because when he does it in the original, it's just... Well, I guess they bring in the wife eventually, but originally it's just Schwarzenegger right. and the guy from the commercial. But in the remake, there's like cops everywhere. He's even got the Molina girl with him. There's a lot going on. It's, it's really tense. It's not calm. I feel like if I was going to be told I was in a, in a simulation, it would be in a really calming, soothing way. You know, it wouldn't be amongst this intense action where I really don't know what I can trust. But, you know, it would come to me when I'm relaxed, you know, so that I can actually believe what's being said instead of my anxiety being raised. And I don't sure. know, I don't know, I don't know. I just, it didn't seem believable. And then, yeah, the bulletproof vest and taking the gun and giving the gun back. <laughs> I thought those were just unnecessary yeah. moves in every way. I thought I think the original definitely did messed with my head at yeah. least a lot more than the remake. I agree with you, man. That I think the original really does mess with your head. And I was reading up on the movie later that the director essentially intended for <laughs> it to work either way. If you thought it was real or if you thought it was fake, his intention was to have both things be plausible. Yeah, it definitely came across that way. Like, watching it again, it was like, oh, man, I really want it to be real. But there's enough in there that it's like, man, did that really happen? You know, like, it, it right. it's much more satisfying in the sense that you don't get a, the resolution um, necessarily, uh, depending on how you're watching the film. Like, they do a really good job of playing with the elements of real and fake in a way that, like, it, obviously, even that scene in the middle of the movie has already sort of laid the groundwork for you to say, man, I believe this or I don't believe it. And I, and it's funny because, like, both of us are watching it, and I guess maybe based on our interpretation of what's happening, uh, we're having, like, different ideas about what makes more sense in that sequence. I, I think the original, for me, definitely messed with my head more. Like, yeah. is this real or is this fake? I agree. And the remake, I, I didn't feel like the remake, he was in a simulation at all. I felt like this is all real. Like it was, I didn't convince me until I guess you get to that ambiguous ending. The work of making you think whether it's real or, or not just happened at the end as opposed to throughout the film. And I think the first movie does a very, very good job of uh, laying a lot of groundwork. And there's like little, little things that are said and subtleties that happen throughout the film that actually kind of allude to really both things potentially being true. I heard something where they kind of described it as like a Schrodinger's cat kind of situation. You know? I can see that. Which is, which is great that like a movie like that, that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't really known for being in like kind of brainy sci-fi flicks, but like they really nailed it in this movie. Yeah, he's usually just in a movie where the good guys won, everything's fine, but left with a more ambiguous ending this time. It's definitely yeah. not uh, what he's usually in. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right, I wanted to talk a little bit about the music too. Okay. Both movies. The composer for the original was Jerry Goldsmith, and then the composer for the remake was Harry Gregson Williams. So Jerry Goldsmith, I guess he's done the music and like some classic movies like Aliens and Gremlins. I'm actually familiar with Harry Gregson Williams because he did the music in one of my favorite video game series, Metal Gear Solid. So I was pretty excited to uh, hear his soundtrack for the remake. And I guess comparing the two soundtracks, the Goldsmith soundtrack for the original it's definitely a lot more over the top a lot more dramatic sure i was noticing during like some of the scenes really really don't work unless you have his music playing like there's a scene when arnold when he first is trying to get the the recall and then there's like everybody's freaking out everybody's freaking out the music is just so over the top it's so bombastic and then i'm just thinking like 
if there was no music here and you just had Arnold kind of screaming, like, you know, just seeing his face, like, bugging out like right. that, it, would, it might come across as silly and it might not work. So I think the music really complements uh, the original a lot because everything's just over the top. The acting, the action, just the setting, the story is over the top. And I think um, the, the soundtrack really complements that a lot. I think so. Like, as you're going through the movie, there's a sense of scope. To me, the original feels like almost like a grand adventure. You know, there's a lot of things going on, and the music underscores it. Honestly, I think one of the best things the music does is I actually barely notice it, which is actually a good sign for uh, music. It's not taking you out of the movie. I mean, I definitely noticed it. It just It's just so over the top, and right. I was just like, it's a little much for some of the scenes. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was laughing at it a little bit because it's so over the top. Right. But it still works because, like I said, everything in that movie, that first original movie, is over the top. So I went with it. I was able to have a good time still. Awesome. If you want to talk about the music in the remake, Harry Gregson Williams' soundtrack, I didn't really notice it too much. I guess this music complements the movie well because yeah, I really didn't notice it too much in the remake. Mm. Um, the only time I really noticed the music was during the quiet parts. Sure. And that kind of distracted me because I almost wanted there to be complete silence during there. And then right. there was always like some tone or some just something almost ominous playing in the background. And every time it was just like I just wanted some quiet moments in the remake. And there really never was one because there was always just some music playing. Right. So that that annoyed me a little bit. And the original, there were definitely quiet moments where there was no music at all. Sure. You can just take in the story, the setting, the atmosphere, take in everything. So. That was just my little pet peeve with the music in the remake. Yeah, for, for instance, that scene where Harry's trying to convince him that none of this is real. That would have lent itself very well to a little bit more tension in the quiet moments than, you know, really trying to underscore with with a music in, in that case. There, there's moments like that where, honestly, they should let some of the cinematography do the work and take a step back from the music. But... I don't know, it seems like they were going for a popcorn, you know, thriller, like a blockbuster type deal. So I guess they wanted to keep the action moving. And I think music in their mind was going to help do that. Yeah, I guess they wanted the music there to keep the flow going. Uh, but yeah, going back to that Harry scene, that's that's the scene I was thinking of in the original. Because that's a really quiet moment. Right. Nothing's happening. It's nice and calm, peaceful. Then you have this guy who claims that you're still on recall. And then in the remake, music's still going. There's like the, the hostage or there's the police outside. It's just all this tension. Everything's right. tension, tension, tension all the time. Just a uh, little moment to just breathe and relax sure. and take it in, you know? It's funny, like calling it like a hostage scene. Because when you think about it, <laughs> I guess the only thing being held hostage is his own mind, which is yeah. a weird way to think about that. But it, it just feels like almost every generic hostage scene in a movie that you've ever seen sort of rolled into one with a little bit of goofiness over the top. And you're right, music there, I think if they got away from it a little bit, it may have helped make that scene work a little bit better. But I don't know if there's... more believable. Yeah. yeah, believable is a good good word there. Which is ultimately what the remake's going for. It's going for believability, but it's it's some of the action and some of the music that actually takes you out of believing it. Right, that's all I have to say about music. Okay. Um, no, I think we're both bringing up some really interesting points. Like, I, I think it shows how deep this story is and how sort of relatable it is for people imagining these sort of, like, dystopian futures or, you know, the, the premise of, am I real, am I not? You know, like, this existential question that I think everyone ultimately has. And I think that that's part of the reason why this, this movie stuck with us. 
you know, obviously a lot of people love Total Recall. It's kind of interesting to see that we both watch the same thing and have actually, like, different takes on certain elements that aren't necessarily apparent to the other. Yeah, it's weird for a Schwarzenegger movie to make you think this much. I know. <laughs> and it's the Schwarzenegger movie, too. I'm not thinking a remake when I'm thinking all these deep questions because I just don't see it in the remake. Yeah, yeah, the remake, you know, it's just... Elements of it are there, but, like, I'm... Obviously, when we're getting into sort of deeper conversations about the philosophical questions, they're, strangely enough, coming from an 80s action flick. It was released in 90, but I guess it was 90. filmed in the 80s, so you can you can call it an 80s film. And you got Paul Verhoeven, the RoboCop fame, doing it. So. Yeah, Verhoeven knocks it out of the park, man. It definitely has flaws. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I had problems with is, you know, you can't go outside Mars, or else you're going to die, your eyes are going to pop out, you're going to suffocate. Right. But why is there glass walls everywhere? And they're not bulletproof at all. Yeah. Like the thinnest glass that you could even probably punch through. I'm sure Arnold's can punch through one of those glass walls. It's like, how's about a little more steel or something for these yeah, domes? Yeah, that's or fair. Bulletproof glass or maybe a couple layers of glass. Let's. Are you kidding me? That's fair. Like everybody's like, you can't shoot a gun here. It's definitely flawed, but. Yeah, because everyone is using guns in a situation where. Clearly, it's not safe. Yeah, there, there's elements like that that are glaring examples of this doesn't really work. But I think somehow the movie is charmed. Most people just ignore these very obvious plot issues. <laughs> yeah, you're having enough fun, I think. that You're just like, all right, that definitely doesn't seem plausible, but I'm having a good time. So yeah. it's okay. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to, to setting, it's just so much more interesting to see somebody's take on another planet. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that even if it doesn't work in sometimes, like you were saying, like the glass and like the way things are terraformed, it doesn't really matter if it works or not. If you're engaging with the environment as, as a viewer, it's visually appealing and you're happy that they did it, whether or not it would work in any sort of real sense. Yeah, you got to suspend a little disbelief. Mm hmm. I mean, we're on Mars, and there's alien technology. I guess I'm okay if uh, glass breaks every now and then. But then it's like also, you have this ancient ancient alien technology. I don't know how old it is. Tens of thousands of years old, maybe. And you're able to activate it by putting your human hand on it? Yeah, that yeah, <laughs> it's got like th three fingers or whatever the hell the alien. Yeah, he had to do his hand in a weird angle or something in order to get that and it's the climax of the film but like that to me is actually the hardest thing to stomach about the entire movie like okay now we've gone in even crazier territory of ancient aliens and you know magical technologies that can have like this almost unlimited power of like being able to completely terraform an entire planet at whim and it's just strange that that technology was there one, that they were able to harness it. And I know it helps kind of finish finish out the movie, but it really, it's a little much. It is. <laughs> but then again, you got Arnold doing these stupid one-liners at the same time. So you're distracted. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not putting too much thought into it, I, I suppose, at that point. But it's just a little, it's just so convenient. All I have to do is put my hands on it, yeah. and I'll terraform the entire planet in a minute. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. You really got to roll with that one. I was doing a little bit of research on the original movie, and um, there is a line when he's at recall where they're sort of loading up his recall experience, and the assistant is in there and says, oh, Blue Sky Mars, that's a new one. Yeah, and there's, yeah I caught that on my second watch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it's like you end the movie with a Blue Sky Mars. So, you know, there is 
again, alluding back to, are we in recall? Are we in real life? Real, fake? That type of stuff, this movie does a great job of, they're not hitting you over the head with it at all, and and you come to your, sort of, your own conclusions about those moments. I mean, it's definitely subtle. Both endings are sort of left ambiguous. I think the original is more ambiguous, because the original, it's like, I think they're talking about, like, is this a dream? Well, if it's a dream, I don't want to wake up, and then Mm -hmm. the screen kind of fades to white, kind of like we're getting out of the dream sure and you're not sure if that if it's just ending or is it is this real i, I don't know or are we getting out of recall but then in the remake i think it's less ambiguous actually because he had this tattoo on his arm when he was going to recall right and that tattoo is gone all of a sudden right. so i think we're in recall I'm yeah pretty sure yeah i mean that that makes sense but then again that movie wasn't really playing too much with the is this real or is this recall they didn't have as much fun, or they didn't do it as well as the original. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Because you're really not really asking that question throughout the film. You know, there's no. moments where, like we said, with the standoff scene, where they're telling you that you're potentially, you know, not in the real world, but like it doesn't even seem like a major element of the film, which is so so strange, you know. Yeah, you think if they're going to do a remake, they would want to make it more like intellectually deep, and they would play with that a lot more. But surprise, surprise, they don't. They actually do it a little bit less. Yeah. I think what they were going for was this fleshed-out backstory, but by doing so, I feel like other elements of what is appealing about the movie, the original, are just kind of thrown by the wayside. Hey, you kind of have to try to convince me that this could potentially be not happening, and they don't—they don't really explore it enough in no. the film for me to even be concerned with it throughout most of the movie. They definitely get concerned with that, and as far as I go, I'm not even concerned with what's going to happen with Quaid. He's so boring and yeah. <laughs> mopey in the remake. I'm just like, uh, I guess I'm going for this ride, yeah. as opposed to the original, where I'm like, all right, I'm going for this ride. <laughs> The new movie opens up with the action sequence dream and everything like that. But again, just when you come back to reality, reality is so close to the dream that there's not really a disconnect. Like there's not a lot of things distinguishing, you know, the UFB versus the colonies versus resistance where clearly being on Mars and then waking up in your bedroom. There's two very different things. And you're already now in this fantasy zone of, wow, we're going to explore another planet, like somewhere that humans really haven't been before. Could you imagine the world where humans have colonized Mars? Like, we get to play with that element, whereas the other movie, I, I really don't care. Yeah, they, they set you up in the original. They sort of tease you that we're going to Mars, and they they leave you wanting more, and you want to go there, and you can't wait till Arnold gets to Mars, and yeah. hopefully what happens in his dream doesn't happen. Hopefully he can stop it somehow. And in the remake, you just see a regular action sequence in like a hallway in an elevator shaft, and I'm okay. I don't need to see that. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be taken away to some amazing place if the dream becomes reality. I didn't need to go for that ride, but I definitely wanted. I want to go to Mars. We had a lot of opinions about the movie, Dan. I think we should get to the part where I guess we review this thing. The review system that we have currently is: Was the remake worth doing? Should they have made it? Or should they have just skipped it? What's your what's your take on the Total Recall remake? I mean, if you haven't heard it from everything I've talked about already, I just feel like the remake, while it looks nice in some places, it's like the action, I didn't really care for. Uh, the characters, I didn't think they were done as well. My main thing is like, 
they have really cool elements, but they're both a little bit absurd. And I'm able to go with it more in the original because it's a lot more fun. Everything's set up. Just I want to go there. I want to see what's going to happen next because like I, it's a little over the top and I can't believe it, but it's still fun at the same time. And then the remake, it's definitely over the top with some of those action sequences, but I really don't care. I'm not invested in the characters. I'm not invested in the world. No, for me, I don't think they need to remake it, especially not this way. I think a remake of Total Recall would definitely be an interesting thing. Um, like we discussed, if they maybe discussed that idea, is like, wh who am I really if these memories aren't mine? I think that would really be interesting. But yeah. just making sort of a, not even a beat-by-beat -beat, uh, copy, but just getting rid of some of the elements that made the original so interesting, grounding it in more reality, you took a lot of the fun out. Yeah. I really didn't have a good time watching the remake. I kept checking my watch, seeing how much longer this movie was. For me, no, this did not need to be remade. The original, over-the-top, cheesy, but it's a fun ride, and you'll have a good time. So, no, they didn't need to remake this movie. Coming in for me, I agree. I mean, just us talking about the different elements of the movie, I think that we've come to some more interesting parallels in just our conversation than what they actually put to film in this remake. The thing that I keep focusing in on is that they're adding this backstory but they're doing it in a way that what they're adding to is not the parts that we even care about instead of focusing on the idea of of the existential crisis the who am i does this does this matter is this real is it a dream uh do our memories affect who we ultimately are it's like is that what we're truly made up of there's a fun way to make remake this there's a much more interesting way to remake this what we got it was not was not it on an individual level it's it's a fine enough movie but because it is based in, on the context of this original incredible film no need to do the remake it, not this one at least so I, i'm with you on that they, they should not have made that version of total recall all right so it looks like we're in agreement yeah and, like, I think Jessica Biel, I might have said this before, she said it was more based on the short story, but they kept the names of the characters the same in the movie, because in the original movie, they changed the names of the characters, and they kept the names the same. So, you could defend it by saying, oh, but it's based more on the short story, which, A, they kept the names from the original movie, and yeah. B, they got rid of Mars, which is in the short story. Right. So, this is definitely a remake, and a poor one at that. Yeah. It's just so strange that they had that budget, that cast, in. They just missed the mark so hard. Like It's just like none of their performances really get to shine because there's not much there for them to work with. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe next time they'll get yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Definitely check out the original if you want to have a good time and check out the remake if you want to see something uh, boring and uh, bland. Your, your choice. But, uh, you know, thank you for listening to this episode of Retro versus remake. I'm Dan. You can find me at Console Wars Guys on Twitter. Uh, any suggestions for any future episodes or anything? And I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me at RP Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. And you have a website, rpcomedy.com. And I guess if you guys want to watch Console Wars on YouTube, youtube.com slash Console Wars. Nice. Retro gaming goodness. <laughs>